0: Uh, Happy Father's Day to all of you men, and uh, before you leave this morning, make sure all of you men, you pick up your dad's soda, okay, this is our gift to you, All right, so make sure before you leave that you get your dad's soda. Um, Some of those little scenes I crack up, and uh, I gotta say this, and I'm not gonna use names because I try to respect my children, I'll never forget when we had the first birds and the bee talk. I took one of my kids to uh, Crestwood Lake, same thing, I was eating this great sandwich, telling him the story, and he was leaning over the bench, ready to throw up, and I'm like, he's like, dry heaving, I was like, yes, it's good to be a dad, so uh, it is very good. I, um, I just got back from a week-long study, stint out in beautiful Orcas Islands, uh, Washington, It was an amazing week of learning. It was also an amazing week of of evening play. We went whale watching on Tuesday night from 5 to 8 p.m. And for three hours, I went whale watching when I was in Nova Scotia. When I was little, my parents rented an RV. We drove up to Nova Scotia. And we were on a boat for like three hours. I think we saw a whale. And I think it was a guy dressed up as a whale that kind of like poked his head out and breathed through a straw. And I'll never forget, I was like, that was the worst trip ever. Whale-watching in Nova Scotia was the worst thing ever. So when all my buddies were saying, let's go whale-watching, I'm like, "Nah!" but they're like, come on, come on. So uh, I ended up going whale-watching Tuesday night, and for three hours, we followed a family of pods, just... And it's like they knew we were there. By the end of the evening, they were poking their heads up like you see at like SeaWorld, and the, one of the last things one of the whales did, you know, a couple thousand pound creature goes, foom, out of the water, splash. We're all high fiving, driving the captain crazy. It was awesome. It was a beautiful, beautiful week. But I got to be very honest with you um, it, was a, it was a really good week of learning. And uh, for me, my life is always so chaotic that I had to get away. And it was so refreshing to just be in uh, the presence of a man that I, I highly respect, Leonard Sweets, my teacher. I've given you some of you some of his books. But um, by Wednesday, I took my message and I threw it away because I really just wanted to share what God was speaking to me on my heart in view of fathering, in view of parenting. Um, I'm just tired. I had to take a red eye. So it's really not emotions. I'm just really, really tired. Um, but there's something that... That God really was speaking to me that I really wanted to share with you this morning. Something that, you know, when we think about Father's Day, so many of us come to church wanting to find these principles of being a better dad, right? Like, like man, and sometimes Father's Day is the worst morning. The kids are crazy, you're driving to church, and you're screaming at them this way, and you're saying, you're going to love Jesus, get in the car. And you're flying down the road, and you're trying to swat them, and they're all, Aah! like, happy Father's Day, Dad. That never happened to me. But anyways, that's what happens. But one of the things that, that as I thought about this week, I was singing like Mother's Day's and Father's Day's, can actually be very dangerous times in the life of a church. Because so many men walk out of church feeling like failures. Let me give you the seven principles on anger. And you're sitting there like, I've tried all those seven principles. Let me try, you know, let me give you the seven principles of being gentle. Let me give you the seven principles of being more compassionate. And as I really thought about it this week, I'm like, we really have fallen into the schemes of the world. That we do the same things that that we see on Dr. Phil or on Oprah. And and the only thing what we do is we, we godify our principles. We take our principles and we make them holy. Remember what we talked about last week about holy meaning way out there, I could never achieve that? And that's what happens. And so this morning I really, I want to come at a different angle. Because as a father... It's not the principles that you give your children that are going to save them and make them be successful. What's going to give your kids what they need is relationship. And it's not only a relationship that you have with them. It's the relationship that you have, and listen to this, with your heavenly Father. And everything that you do in relationship with your heavenly father, the way that you prioritize your relationship with your heavenly father, I promise you, that will be the priority that your children have with their heavenly father. And we are coming out of a day and age where Christian modernity and Christian principles do not mean much because there's no relationship that is based on our faith anymore. And so I want to pray. I want us to look at kind of our, our passage of the year real quickly. And then I just want to talk with you for about 15, 20 minutes. So let's pray. Jesus, thank you for this morning. And God... Uh, Give me composure. I'm physically tired, but I'm spiritually renewed. Lord, so many of us men think we're doing the right thing when we're actually doing the wrong thing. We run around and try to give our kids principles of success. We try to position them in areas of community and school and sports and that, that we literally we take it on the, princip- the principles of Christianity, and yet we've missed the power of relationship with our Heavenly Father. God, we, we have come to you because we don't want to live in the success of the world, and yet, that same driven success is what we drive our kids into. Lord, I ask you this morning, Holy Spirit, be with us. Give us a fresh word. In Christ's name, amen. Turn with me to Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9. For some reason, God has really used this chapter of the Bible to speak deeply into our life. I really feel like that in, in a few years from from now that we're going to look back at this spring season and we are going to see how God had used Mark chapter 9 to speak into the life of this church. What an answer to prayer. Remember, what did we pray for last Sunday morning? Remember what we prayed for last Sunday morning? Richard, Rich's grand, granddaughter. We prayed last week that God would step in and intervene and heal that little baby girl. And you know what happened? God stepped in. And that baby was no longer on a respirator by the end of that day. We have to believe that this power of God is real. We also saw another healing four weeks earlier with someone's shoulder. We also saw saw a healing with someone's sinuses. And we have seen as we've really asked some hard questions as a community of faith. God, are you real? That yes, he he does step in and intervenes. Let me ask you real quick, are these air conditionings annoying? Or is it okay? They're okay? Okay, good. So let's do this. Let's read chapter 9. And let's read verse 14 through 27. When they returned to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd surrounding them, and some teachers of religious law were arguing with them. When the crowd saw Jesus, they ran, they were overwhelmed with awe, and they ran to greet them, him. What is all this arguing about? Jesus asked. One of the men in the crowd spoke up and said, Teacher, I brought my son so you could heal him. He was, is possessed by an evil spirit that won't let him talk. And whenever this spirit seizes him and throws him violently to the ground, then he, then he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. He's having a seizure. That's what he's having. So I asked your disciples to cast out the evil spirit, but they couldn't do it. Jesus said to them, you faithless people, how long must I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought the boy. But when the evil spirit saw Jesus, it threw this child into a violent convulsion, and he fell to the ground, writhing and foaming at the mouth. How long has this been happening? Jesus asked the boy's father. He replied, since he was a little boy, the Spirit often throws him into the fire or into water, trying to kill him. Have mercy on us and help us if you can. What do you mean, if I can? Jesus asked, anything is possible. If a person believes. The Father instantly cried out, I do believe, but help my unbelief. When Jesus saw that the crowd of onlookers were growing, he rebuked the evil spirit. Listen, you spirit that makes this boy unable to hear and speak. He said, I command you to come out of this child and never enter him again. Then the spirit screamed and threw the boy into a violent convulsion and left him. The boy appeared to be dead. A murmur ran through the crowd as people said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and helped him to his feet and he stood up. Stop right there. When I read this passage, and I've shared this before, I get lost with the Father. Because here's a Father who has a need that needs to be met. It's a need that nothing could meet but Jesus. I mean, this guy probably went to every single doctor around. He probably went to every single rabbi. He probably, went to ev- he probably even stepped out of his realm and did the things that he thought he would never, ever do. And as this man heard about Jesus, he knew that his son had only one hope. For true wholeness. W-H-O-L-E-N-E-S-S. Wholeness. You know, oftentimes we run after holiness out there. But I really believe that deep in our souls that what we are longing for, what we are striving for is wholeness. Physical, spiritual, emotional wholeness. This guy was a Jewish man. He knew the Torah. He knew and had heard of all of the great stories of God. He would have heard of Ezekiel doing a healing. He would have heard of of Moses crossing the Red Sea. And there comes a certain point in all of our lives that we have to believe that there's more to this life than our present state. And so we look around and when we have a crisis moment and and our crisis moment isn't met with the things of this world, that's when we become desperate for God. We only become desperate with God when the things of this world are unable to work and fix our present situations. And so for this man, that is the truth. He went to the things of this world. He went to the doctors. He went to all the different places. But he heard about this man named Jesus, who was to be the Messiah, the chosen one. Not because of his proclamation, it's too early in the Gospels. But because of what he was mirroring. Not mimicking, mirroring. As Jesus looked in the face of God, as he spent time in prayer, the Father was telling him, now go mirror me. Jesus only did what the Father had told him to do. Only did what he said was, was said to go perform. And so as Jesus spent time with the Father, and as he looked into the mirror of God, he mirrored God to the world around him. And so this man had a desperate plea. And he went. And I love how he says, I do believe. Deep down in my soul, I have to believe. But here's my tension. Help my unbelief. It's like having a dollar that's worth only 99 cents. That one little penny that separates the dollar. But here's what I love about this passage. This man had more belief than he realized he had. Because when the disciples couldn't fix him, right? When the disciples couldn't do it, something wasn't working, he went to the source, the power source. The one that could only bring life. And so when he went to Jesus, he approached him with humility and confidence. And what did Jesus do? He delivered his boy of evil. Now Father's Day, what does this have to do with Father's Day? What do you think happened the rest of this man's life in view to this little boy? Because if this boy was going to be demonized for the rest of his life, he would have been kicked out of his village. He would have never been able to be successful. He would have been an outcast. Matter of fact, in Mark chapter 5, we we know what happens to, to young boys that are demonized and healing doesn't come and they can't be socialized properly. Like They can't come back into society and behave like everyone else. The extreme is that they're sent to live in the graveyards and they're chained up to tombstones. And that was their stake in life. This father knew that. He knew that if God does not supernaturally intervene, his son was better off dead to him. It would have been easier for his son to pass away, to remember the beauty and the glory days of his childhood, than to watch his son grow up tormented forever. I mean, that sounds like a very hard thing to hear and say, But there's a reality that when you talk to a parent whose child is struggling and struggling and struggling and struggling, that that's a tension they have. I had a cousin like that, Scotty Markham. We called him Marty. He grew up in my home. My parents raised him. He was traumatized his whole life long. He was murdered. His life was out of control. And I remember just listening to the stories of when he was young. But here's the beauty of this. When Jesus stepped in and intervened, what do you think that father spoke to that child the rest of his life? Do you remember when Jesus delivered you? Every time that son was going through a hard time, do you remember Jesus stepped in and made you sane? Every time the the son came to a crossroads with his career or finances or life and and, and felt like he couldn't depend on, on his present situations, what do you think that father had said? Jesus will save you. And what do you think that father did every single time that he himself was going through difficulties. Jesus, I believe. And you know what? Step in and help my unbelief once again. The power of that relationship that Jesus had with that man redirected this man's life in every sense of the way In every sense of the terms of success, Jesus stepped in and he flipped the hourglass and said, let me redefine the rest of your life, the rest of your time on earth, the rest of how you see success, the rest of how you see parenting, the rest as as you see marriage and future and hope and abundance. Abundance and fullness, and wholeness, let me not only redirect it, let me redefine it. I bet you when when this man heard that Jesus was crucified, his heart sunk. And I bet you he said, even when Jesus died, and it was Friday and Saturday, he says, I still believe I still believe, because that is my image of belief. And every time he saw his son walking, and every time he saw his son get older, every time he saw his son do something great, every time he saw his son having a normal conversation with someone, he said, I Believe, But here's what I really believe, is that when Jesus was risen from the grave, that man had no question in his mind whether or not Jesus was raised from the dead. Did you hear Jesus was raised from the dead? I knew it. Did you hear what happened? I believe it. How do you believe it? Because I saw it. Because I experienced it. I bet you there were even times as this father and the son had conversations and, and the son went through struggle after struggle after struggle and, and he would go to him and say, Dad, I need to talk. Dad, I need some advice. Dad, I need some guidance. And he would say, listen, just have faith in Jesus. And you wonder if there was ever a point in that, in that young man's mind or when that man was a father and said, oh, here we go, the Jesus conversation again. Do you not remember when he stepped in and he made you whole? Now turn with me to Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. I thought I put a cheat sheet in, I didn't. Deuteronomy 6. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. There it is. 6, verse 4. Listen, O Israel. The Lord is our God, the Lord alone, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and all your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly. Whole. Not wholly, wholeheartedly. To these commandments that I I'm giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you are at home and when you are on the road, when you are going to bed and when you are getting up. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. The Lord your God, the Lord who? Your God will soon bring you into the land He swore to give you when He made a vow to your ancestors. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You see, when we read a passage like this, we look at principles. Tell your children the principles of God. If you don't believe in Jesus, you're going to where? Hell. Well, that's cool. If you do something, you are smited by the oh heidi, holy smiter to hell. And if you don't do this, then you will fail and you will not succeed. And when you screw up and do something really stupid, oh, your heavenly daddy's gonna spank you. And that's what that's what God has been to many of us. Why do you think everyone leaves the church? I love that picture of Jim Carrey and, and Bruce Almighty when he's like, smite me, almighty oh smiter. You've already smited me enough. I mean, think about it. How many of us have swore at God? Huh? How many of us? Liars. Thank you. Honesty. You guys are definitely going to heaven. How many of us have just wrestled with God? How many of us have been like, dude, you say you're real, but all I think about is all the things I'm not supposed to be doing. But do you know how the people in Deuteronomy told the commandments of God? They told through the stories of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. I mean, think about this. How cool is it is that when a Jewish parent told their kids life lessons, they said, I'm going to give you some life lessons and commandments of God, but it's going to take about four hours because I want to tell you the heavenly story of Abraham. So you want to know God's will. Let's sit down. And they sat down and they would talk about how how God stepped into Abraham's life and how Abraham, who was a pagan worshiper, was called, not because of his holiness, but because of his humanness, to be on a journey with the living God. And then they would get to the parts of of God saying that they're going to have a baby and that this baby's going to be the child of many, many nations, more than all the sand on the ground. And then the dad would say, teachable moment. But he made a mistake. And he slept with the wrong woman. And he would tell the story of of having a child, Ishmael, and the tension of, of having all these kids from different women and all this stuff. And he would say, But God brought him back on the path with Sarah. That's how they told the commandments through story, through the power of the spoken word, through the life and breath of the living God. And they would say, I want you to be like Abraham. But do yourself a favor. Be like Abraham, but learn the patience that Abraham was supposed to have. I mean, look at this. When he talks about the commandments, he says, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Do you know how a Jewish little boy or girl was told about God? The first lesson a Jewish child would learn about God is they would sit in front of their parents or sit in front of a rabbi. And the the rabbi or the parent would say, now open your mouth. Someone tell me, what does God taste like? Air? And they would put honey in each kid's mouth. And they would say, God is sweet. Imagine if that was the first lesson that you learned about God. That the God, the creator of the universe is sweet and refreshing like honey. And they would go into a story and through the stories he would they would teach commandments not because of what they were not supposed to do but that they could know the fullness of this God who tastes like honey. It's very interesting when you look at the people, the Jewish people, and how they teach the faith of their fathers. Jewish people believe it to the point that they just keep telling the story over and, over and over and over and over and over again. Their spoken word, listen to this, okay? Their spoken word reflects the written word. The language of the parent is verbatim. This. And here's what I really believe. I believe that many people go to church because they feel they have to and they're terrified that that day when they die, Really, they're not really consumed with dying because they live like they want to live. But there's that safety net underneath them. It's kind of like a sailboat. Any of you guys sailors out here? And a sailboat on the big sailing vessels, they always have a safety net underneath the big sails that when the sailor would fall, that they would be caught so they wouldn't come to their death. But it's that safety net as we go into this course of life. And so what do we do? We teach our kids good, Christian, Western... Principles. And we go up to the line until we're, we're pushed far enough. Far enough. We go up to the line until this idea of, idea of uh, that's radical. That's radical. Right? This is good. You'll go to heaven like this. Okay? You, you ask Jesus in your heart. You did all these little things. And, and this is good. But this is life. And so most of the principles that are spoken on this Sunday morning in churches all around us are unbiblical because what you want your child to have is success in the world's eyes. But with Jesus as your sidekick. It's like Batman and Robin, but you want to be Batman and Jesus is Robin. Right? Because Batman's cooler than Robin so you know what, Jesus, you're part of the dynamic duo, but let me do this. I get the cool voice and the really cool cape, and you only get something over your eyes. I get like these ears that pop up. Like, I'm the cool one, but you just come along with me. But what we've done is we're teaching our kids what we believe are the powers of the principles rather than the power of relationship. We miss it. Why do we want our kids to follow Jesus? Mommies and daddies. Future parents. Why do we teach our kids about Jesus? Why do you want your child to be a follower of Christ, the Savior of the world? Is it because of what he's done inside of you? I had a very crazy childhood. I'm one of seven boys. My parents raised eight kids and they always invited other people to live with us. Remember I told you that story about Nova Scotia going to see that one whale? Horrible. They even left me in Connecticut for an hour and a half. Okay, on top of that, they left me on the side of the road on accident. It was a bad trip. I'm terrified of RVs. But they also took in a young woman from a rehab. The Parker Halfway House. Now that probably messed her up more. But in the midst of my crazy, chaotic life, I had a father who taught me the power of relationships with Jesus Christ. My brother had a really bad case of asthma and they thought it was worse than asthma. And they went through all the testings in the world and everything wasn't working out and they were going to a doctor, a specialist. My dad and my mom said, get in the car, we're going into New York City. I'm like, oh shoot, we gotta go to one of those long church services? Nightmare. Do you know my brother was healed that night? Never ever to struggle with his breathing again. I could tell you miracle after... My parents had seven boys. And each one of their boys had a near-death experience. And in each of those seven boys, my parents saw the power of God. I remember when I was eight years old, I was hit by a car, almost killed And while I was laying in Valley Hospital and they were cranking my leg out because it was going into my hip, I broke my femur and my pelvis, their pastor friend came over, came over to me, and I'll never forget this. I was eight years old. And he came over me and he prophesied. And do you know that prophecy came true today? Not literally today, but it's coming through today. He said, this, this little boy will not be taken because he will be a Samuel to the people around him. What was Samuel? A priest. A prophet. A shepherd. My one brother, my one brother, believe it or not, drank eight ounces of paint thinner. Thought it was milk. And for some crazy reason, we had the craziest life. Everyone saw the Parkers and they're like, oh my gosh, please don't play with them. but I remember this too I'll first give the non-emotional story I'll never forget my dad was paying his bills my dad was successful my dad was a self-made man came from a family a good old uh, Church of God family down in Kentucky my grandparents were insane they were racist and mean there was no Jesus on them. We hated going there. The only good thing about going there was their iced tea. They would trap us in their house that smelled like mothballs and we're like, "Ah, oh, my parents would be, like, don't eat that thing on the ground." But I'll never forget that my dad who gained such great success, he had all of his bills out and he was paying his bills and he said, "Come here." And for some reason he always did this with me. He said, "I want to teach you about finances." I'm like 10 years old, like I just want to go ride my mongoose. I don't want to be in the house. He said he said, This is what I do with my money. I give twenty percent to Jesus right off the top. I give ten percent to missions, and then I give everything else away that I can, and I never ask for anything in return. That's a really poor way to hold your finances. And you know what God has always done? He's blessed them. He put his boys through college. He would buy houses and believe it or not, the most handyman in the world, I was the cleanup guy. I was never able to work on stuff because I couldn't fix anything. He would buy houses and have us go in and fix them. Then he would turn around and sell them and say, I'm teaching you. You work for what you got. So yes, we were all given a car in high school. But he made us work for it. It wasn't 5% or 10%. It was I'm giving this to church and I'm giving all of it to God. You know, the average, the average Christian gives 2.5%. The average Christian to God's kingdom. And I'll never forget that day. I'm like, why did he tell me that? That was weird. But he set me in motion This is what you do with your life. Their home was open. You look at the Parkers. Our house is always open. We love people. We pray for people to come stay with us. Even like when the storm hit, our first reaction is not like, protect ourselves! It's like, who can come over and party with us? And that's not Rob. That's what was instilled in me. So let me give you the hard story. I shared this before. My brother was molested. He wasn't only molested, he was basically abducted, beat up, and molested at the age of five. And I'll never forget, he had to write a letter to the judge because he didn't know want to go speak. And the problem with, with molestation or abduction or anything like that, if you don't go to court, the person gets minimal sentence and goes free. And and he said, I need you to sit down. Here I am, 12 years old. He said, I need to read you a letter that I'm sending to the judge. And I'm going to be graphic with you. And he said to the judge, he says, I don't care. There is no difference between anal sex or oral sex. What this man did to my child is wrong. And he went boom, boom, boom. And he wrote this whole thing out. And I'm sitting there like, oh, I don't want to hear this. And he said what he believed had to have happened to this man. And that he was trusting the judicial series to do what's right. And I walked away and I'm like, oh my gosh. I'm like, how didn't you freaking kill him? How didn't you take your brother Remington and take him to that guy's house? And blow his hat off. And I had to ask him these questions. He's like, Rob, I can't. I got to take care of you guys. And we talked about all of this stuff. And I remember, and I do still remember, how even now he's struggling. The power of his relationship with Jesus. Life is really hard. But if you want to see your kids thrive, and you want to see all that God has for them, you need to redirect what faith actually is. So that we can transition that into our lives, we can transition that into the lives of our children. Do you want your kids to love Jesus? That's the only question the church needs to ask. Not do you want your kids to be successful? Because God is the creator of success, right? God is the creator of success. God is the owner of a thousand cattle on the thousand hills. He owns everything. He owns you, he owns me. He's the one that breathes lives into us. So, the question for us is do you want your kid to be successful? What a stupid question. Seriously, no, I want my kid to fail. I'm a good daddy. The real question we need to be asking in the church do you want your kid to love Jesus? Do you want your kid to know the living God? Do you want your kid to know the creator of the universe? and the creator of themselves. Let's go back to Mark chapter nine. Then the model of parenting is not seven steps to great parenting and seven steps to make my kid a great fill in the blank. It's Jesus, I believe. And as I journey through life and as I come to the crossroads with my children, as I, as I come to what are the decisions they're going to make and that I know I'm supposed to trust you and believe you, but as they're making these turns, in these moments, help my unbelief. Do you see that? Big belief. And at the crossroads that they come to and all the decisions, because the way that you parent is the way that they will parent the way they believe more than likely will be the way that they believe. Most kids don't believe in the church today because they saw through the hypocrisy of their parents. Yeah, you believe because you're terrified. You don't believe because you own it, because you love it, because he's your creator, because he's your savior, because he's your redeemer, because he's your friend. You believe because you just don't want to go to hell. Begin to believe. You know what Rich is going to tell his little granddaughter one day? Rich is going to say, When you were a baby, 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 you weren't even supposed to be born yet. You're supposed to stay in mommy's belly for another 10 weeks. What's wrong with you? You're so beautiful, you had to come out and show everyone? He's going to say this to that little, beautiful little girl in the midst of all your difficulties the first battle you ever had god won god won now let him continue to win happy fathers day let's pray